This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Uh, tonight, a special treat for fans of Bob Hope. We'll go back to 1944, and you'll hear the broadcast of his radio show that was broadcast from Camp Borden here in Canada. First, a bit about the man. Well, Bob Hope was widely praised for his comedy timing and his specialization in the use of one-liners and rapid-fire delivery of jokes. He was known for his style of self-deprecating jokes, first building himself up and then tearing himself down. And though he was born Leslie Townhope in 1929, he changed his name to Bob because he wanted a name that was sort of a friendly, hiya fellas sound to it. He performed hundreds of times per year, such early films as The Cat and the Canary in 1939 and The Paleface 1948 were financially successful and praised by critics. And by the mid-1940s, with his radio program getting good ratings as well, he was one of the most popular entertainers in the United States. In 1935, he signed a 10-year contract on the Pepsodent show with the show's sponsor, Lever Brothers. He hired eight writers and paid them out of his salary of $2,500 a week. The writing staff eventually grew to 15. When Paramount threatened to stop production of The Road Pictures in 1945, they received 75,000 letters of protest. Now, this stand-up comedian, vaudevillian, actor, singer, dancer, athlete, and author had a career that spanned nearly 80 years. Hope appears in more than 70 short and feature films, with 54 feature films with Hope as star, including a series of seven road musical comedies with Bing Crosby as his top bill partner. From their first meeting in 1932, Hope and Crosby teamed not only for the road pictures, but for countless stage, radio, and television appearances and many brief movie appearances together over the decades until Crosby's death in 1977. And here's something kind of interesting. Although the two invested together in oil leases and other business ventures, they worked together frequently and lived near each other, but they rarely saw each other socially. He's often credited with having helped create the modern American version of stand-up comedy and was one of the first users of cue cards. And he used that method of telling jokes when he was the host of the Academy Awards ceremony 19 times between 1939 and 1977. His supposedly feigned desire for an Oscar became part of his act. While introducing the 1968 telecast, he quipped, Welcome to the Academy Awards, or as it's known in my house, Passover. And I found this part fascinating. Beginning in early 1950, Hope licensed Wright to publish a celebrity comic book titled The Adventures of Bob Hope to national periodic publications, alias DC Comics. 
The comic originally featured publicity stills of hope on the cover. It was entirely made up of fictional stories, eventually including fictitious relatives, a high school taught by movie monsters, and a superhero called Super Hip. It was published intermittently and continued publication through issue number 109 in 1969. Have we any comic book collectors in the audience? Well, you better check to see if we have one of those in your collection. Be worth a pretty penny, I'm sure. So let's go back to that year of 1944 with the war raging in the continent and in the Pacific and listen in as Bob Hope and his cast visit Camp Borden, Ontario. The Bob Hope Show. With Jerry Colonna, Vera Vague, the songs of Francis Langford, music by Skinny Ennis and his orchestra, and starring Bob Hope. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Camp Borden, Canada Hope. <laughs> this is my second trip up here, by the way. I visited Canada once before and stayed a long time, but it finally blew over. And I think... And I think... The gag is blowing over, too, but I... And I think the natural beauties of Canada are wonderful, but they won't give me their phone numbers. <laughs> I called up a girl I used to know here in Canada. She was from the timber country, but she's married now and has three little splitters. <laughs> we came up here by train. Boy, it was really crowded. One soldier was doing his morning exercises, and when he exhaled, four people got off at the wrong station. <laughs> and boy, was that train slow. A couple of newlyweds got out of Chicago, and when they reached Niagara Falls, their son carried the bags to the hotel. <laughs> Falls, you all know what Niagara Falls is. That's a natural phenomenon where tons and tons of water pour down in a steady stream. We have the same thing in California, only we call it February. Say, <laughs> oh, uh, Skinny Ennis didn't have a passport, so I sneaked him across the border in my suitcase. I guess I forgot to put air holes in it. When I opened it, a moth was giving him artificial respiration. <laughs> I was really thrilled when I finally got across the border. I stood there proudly and said, Greetings, Sister Republic. And some Canadian private said, Greetings to you too, Sister. <laughs> and what a reception I got here. When I got off the train, the crowd raised me to their shoulders and paraded for two blocks right down the main street. But I'd like to catch the guy that let him past all those low awnings. <laughs> Here's Skinny Ennis singing a number from Dare Bingle's latest picture, Swinging on the Star. Swing it, skin, boy. Would you like to swing on a star? Carry moving, home in a jar, and be better off than the law. Or would you rather be a mule? A mule is an animal with long, funny ears. Kicks up at anything he hears. His brain is brawny and his brain is weak. He's just plain stupid with a stubborn streak. And by the way, if you hate to go to school, you may grow up to be a mule. 
But would you like to swing on a star? Carry moonbeams home in a jar And be better off than you are Or would you rather be a pig? A pig is an animal with dirt on his face Shoes are a terrible disgrace He's got no manners when he eats his food He's fat and lazy and extremely rude But if you don't care a feather for a pig You may grow up to be a pig Swim in a brook, he can't write his name or read a book. And to fool the people is his only thought. And though he's slippery, he still gets caught. But then, if that sort of life is what you want, you may grow up to be a fish. Hello, the monkeys are in the zoo. Every day you meet quite a few. So you see, it's all up to you. You could be better than you are. Could be swinging on a star. Oh yeah, yes, that was skinny and it's swinging, they're singing, yes, yeah, <laughs> singing, swinging on a star with those Toronto terrors behind yes, you, huh? Well, it's a... hello, man. That's great going, Skin. Tell me, how do you like it up here in Canada? I like it fine, Bob. You know, I've been going around and shaking hands with all these Canadians and telling them I'm their ally. Skin, you shouldn't do that. Up to now, they thought we were winning the war. <laughs> you, know, you know, you'll scare these people and the Canadian Mounties will get you. Canadian Mounties? Yeah, you know, the FBI on horseback. <laughs> You know, I was invited up here by government officials. When I arrived, two big cars were ready, and one of them rushed me right from the train to the governor's office. Well, what about the other car? Well, that rushed the governor from his office to the train. <laughs> well, Bob, now that we're up here in this northern country, you should buy a top coat. Why, Francis, I managed to keep warm. I know, Bob, but it looks a little ridiculous sewing pockets on an old hot water bottle. <laughs> Well, it's a little damp around the waist, I guess. Well, you could take some lessons from these Canadian men. You think I could, huh? Uh-huh. Listen, Francis, I want to warn you, by the way, there are a lot of wolves here in Canada. Say that again, Bob. Why should I say it again? Well, I think it's so cute the way your pointed ears wiggle when you say it. <laughs> There's a Kelowna around, Bob. Well, I'm expecting a call any minute. Hello? 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 Kelowna talking. Kelowna, where are you? I'm at Niagara Falls, and I got a wonderful view from my hotel window. Really? What can you see? Other windows. <laughs> Stop that nonsense, Kelowna. What are you doing over there? I'll let you in on a little secret, Hope. I'm going over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Professor, why in a barrel? 
Somebody stole my pants. <laughs> no kidding, Hope. I am really getting ready to go over the falls in the battle. Oh, get a better idea. Say, what's that gurgle, gurgle, gurgle? I just decided to go over the falls with the battle in me. <laughs> Professor. Professor, I think the trip has probably been too much for you. Get a hold of yourself. <laughs> what's the matter? It tickles. <laughs> Professor, Professor, why have you got all those cobwebs on your brain? Maid, stay off. <laughs> what's your alibi? Yeah. <laughs> You're getting very corny, old boy. Association, old man. Association. Oh, I'm ready to go over the falls, Hope. I'll swim out to my battle. Are you really in the water, Clover? Of course I am, Hope. Right now I'm making with a mermaid. Shoot the scales of me, Frail. <laughs> you can't. I'd better not go near her. Why not? She's got a Mickey and a fin. <laughs> Listen, keep your mind on the job. I thought you were going over the falls. I am, Hope. I'm in the battle now. I am careful. I gotta show my passport. Francis, 
The professor got up on the wrong side of his brain this morning. Well, did you enjoy the sightseeing tour we took around the Falls, Bob? Yeah, you know, Francis, there's a cave right behind Niagara Falls. The whole front of it is covered by falling water, and when you're in there, nobody can see you from the shore. Yes, but it's so damp, Bob. Don't you think you should move to a hotel? <laughs> yeah, but look at the money I save doing my own laundry. <laughs> Say, Bob, <laughs> as we were leaving, did you notice those newlyweds who checked into the hotel for a honeymoon? Yeah, Francis, I'm afraid that wasn't a happy marriage. Why do you say that? Mr. Anthony was carrying their luggage. <laughs> hey, but can you imagine that Professor Colonna? Still in Niagara Falls. What a nerve he's got. If he doesn't hurry up and get her, I'm going to tear up his contract. <laughs> Lucky I made the traffic light in Hamilton. <laughs> Say, Hope, uh, remember that native girl I brought here from the South Seas? You know, the one I brought with me to the program last week. Yes. <laughs> Habit forming, isn't she? <laughs> the honey, uh, you remember Bob Hope? Oh, Casanova? <laughs> Casanova? Well, how do you like that? Well, you think I've got what it takes, huh? Oh, yes. On my island, we make love by rubbing noses. <laughs> We're on our way to Niagara Falls to get mad at Oh, so you go for the Professor Bumser, huh? Oh, yes. Professor Colonna, the man of my dreams. Uh, Colonna's the man of your dreams. You must sleep on a lumpy mattress. Say, uh... <laughs> hey, where does this little cutie come from, Professor? Oh, west of here, Saskatchewan? Thank you, Pat. Saskatchewan. <laughs> I got mine. Catch one for yourself. <laughs> How come you're so half-baked? Short circuit in the incubator. <laughs> but tell me, Bumstead, why do you want to marry the professor? Oh, he keeps me and makes fireworks in my head. He makes fireworks? Oh, Colonna, you're wonderful. What's your secret? Keep my cigar in my mouth. <laughs> oh, professor, you are so cute. And you have not kissed your little bones today. Kiss me. Oh, now, wait a minute. I'll show her what kind of a friend I am to you, Colonna. I'll kiss her for you. Oh, you'll kiss her for me. Huh? That's right, Colonna. Oh! What else can you do with that kind of a tourist? with a Langford version of it could happen to you. Hide <laughs> your heart from sight Lock your dreams at night It could happen to you Church bells ring. It 
me to appear on your program. I'll skip that, Quentin, because I don't enjoy fighting with my guests. That is not the men. Seriously, I'm very glad. I'm very glad to be here, Bob. I love your program. Listening to it keeps me thin. Laughing, huh? Oh, no, Bob. Bending over to turn it down between musical numbers. I thought we'd been having more music than your waistline looks like. <laughs> this is like old times, isn't it, Bob? Sure is. Remember when we met in London in that blackout? I sure do. What about it? Nothing. Just give me back my watch. <laughs> I can't. I put it in my pocket and some thief poured acid on my suspenders and stole my pants. Those blackouts were really something, weren't they, Bob? To say nothing of that London fog. Yeah, what fog? You can't even see the end of your nose. You have trouble on a clear day. <laughs> well, it comes in handy for cleaning my pipe anyway. I, uh... But, Quentin, I'll always remember how swell you were to me during those bombings. Don't be silly, Bob. We, we always revive anyone who faints in an air raid shelter. <laughs> Say, I've been reading about your trip to the South Pacific. How'd you get along with the Australian girls, Bob? Well, Quentin, they speak a different type of English. They can hardly understand you, and you can hardly understand them. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. <laughs> What's so wonderful about that? Well, when you ask them for a kiss, by the time they look it up in the dictionary, it's too late. <laughs> Listen, I get tired of talking about myself, Quentin. Let's talk about something uplifting, something of great importance. Yes, Bob, I've read your book. Yeah. <laughs> well, mention the name of it. You say you've read my new book, I Never Left Home? Yes, Bob, and I couldn't put it down. You couldn't put it down? No, what a novel idea. Fly paper covers. <laughs> That's catchy, isn't it, huh? <laughs> I didn't know you were a writer, Bob. Yes, people tell me I'm as good a writer as I am a comedian. Well, chin up. <laughs> you know, I've even thought of going into your racket, Quentin. How is it? 
Well, there's nothing more exciting than being a war correspondent up in the front lines, Bob. It's a great experience. Well, let's show the folks what it's like, Quentin. First, a couple of Yank correspondents at the front. Well, well, we picked out a great spot to watch the battle in this foxhole, Quentin. I'm not afraid of those rats. Ah, oh, this is just a picnic. Ah, oh, they make me laugh. What's the matter, Bob? Look, a spider. You better drop back, Bob. Not me. They can't stop a yank's spirit. They can't stop a yank's muscles. They can't stop a yank's fighting heart. What happened? They found a place. And now the same scene the next day. We find two British correspondents at the front. I say, Ronald, glad things have quieted down a bit, what? Yes. You know, Reginald, that was a beastly bombing last night. Gad, I jumped out of my skin. I noticed, Ronald. You should have had it pressed before you put it back on. <laughs> about a spot of lunch? A hard-boiled egg? An egg? Yes, I'll just hold it above the top of this foxhole for a minute. Shells it nicely, doesn't it? Shall we brew ourselves some tea? Some tea? Quite, quite, oh boy. You have the tea. You have the pot. Uh... <laughs> oh, I, I love tea, Reg. Tea in the morning, tea at noon, tea at night. Really, Ronald, all you drink is tea, tea, tea. Oh, yes, I love tea. Is that a shell? No, too much tea. <laughs> Got to date with an angel. Got to meet her seven. Got a date with an angel. I'm on my way to heaven. So lovely beside me, and whatever betide me, got an angel to guide me, so I'm on my way to heaven. Soon I let the bells ring out, and the choir will sing out, when the pearly gates swing out, oh, she'll beckon to me. I've been waiting a lifetime for the season of seven, got a date with an angel, I'm on my way to heaven. Bells ring out, and the choir will sing out. 
When the pearly gates swing out hard, she'll beckon to me. I've been waiting a lifetime for the seed of seven. Got a date with an angel. Now I'm on my way to heaven. Canadian fighting son with plane and tank and gun. No matter what your job may be, you'll see the battle won. And we thank you so much. All thanks for memory. Two nations filled with pride, fighting side by side. Their borders free to you and me, good neighbors now allied. And we thank you so much. Folks, Let's each be our own delegation to do what we can for our nation, to keep freedom and not have dictation. By stamps galore, help win this war. I want to thank all you wonderful people here at Camp Borden. You two, Quentin Reynolds, for your guests and guest appearance tonight. It's been a great day here at Camp Borden. You know, folks, when we first went overseas, we met a lot of Canadians. War was new to us then, but already more than two years old to them. For Canada's had five years of this war, five years this month. Boys who were 20 in September 1939 are veterans of 25 today. Canadian youngsters of 15 and 16 were inside the little red schoolhouse in 39, learning their three R's. Tonight they're inside Germany, teaching the Nazis that there is no super race. So it's a privilege for us to be in Canada. Yes, sir, these are the people who've had their full share of blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Their son stood in the ring at Dunkirk and was slugged. At Dieppe, they took it on the chin, and the folks at home took it in the heart. Canada's first steps in the road to victory were taken in the blackest kind of darkness. But, mister, when the lights go on again all over the world, you can bet there'll be a Canadian helping at the light switch. Good night. Stay tuned for The Saint next on Theater of the Mind. Now time for The Saint on Theater of the Mind. The Adventures of The Saint, starring Vincent Price. The Saints, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris and known to millions from books, magazines, and motion pictures. The Robin Hood of modern crime now comes transcribed to radio, starring Hollywood's brilliant and talented actor Vincent Price as The Saint. Mr. Templer. Mr. Templer. I'm asleep. Mr. Templer. Noisy dream. You're not dreaming, That's Mr. Templer. That's what you say. I'm alone in my bedroom. I'm in bed. It's oh, dark. but you're not alone. I'm here. Go away. I'm sorry. I didn't climb into your bedroom in the middle of the night merely to go away again. Well, what did you expect? A 21-gun salute? I expect your attention. You can't see me, can you? No, I'd be even happier if I couldn't hear you. But I can see you, however. 
Your silhouetted against the window behind you. That was cunning of me. It helps me aim the gun I'm pointing at you. I'm so glad. I'd hate to have your aim suffer. Well, what do I do now? Get up, put the lights on, You and... don't do anything of the kind. No? Why? Are you shy? Yeah. Let's say I'm shy. <laughs> That's why you insist on holding this conversation with me in the dark. A conversation, obviously, that wouldn't be about the weather. What would it be about? Well... I'm a writer. A writer and shy? Nonsense. I need some advice. The only advice I can give all writers is don't. I'm writing a book about murder. I'm calling it The Story of a Perfect Crime. Sounds interesting. Thank you. What I came here for was to have you tell me whether or not the murder my book deals with is really a perfect crime. Go on. The man to be murdered, in my book, that is, suffers from heart disease. He's a completely unpleasant character, a financier and a crooked one, a man who deserves to die. Mm-hmm, and he suffers from heart disease. For this condition, he takes daily, at stated hours, capsules containing medicine, capsules upon which his life depends. Now then, the murderer, in my book, that is, decides to poison the financier. Oh, that's not cricket. No, it's murder. Murder that will be poisoning without poison. I'm waiting breathlessly for the next chapter. The murderer steals one of the capsules, pours the medicine out, and replaces the medicine with powdered sugar. He returns the capsule to the financier's pillbox. In due course, the financier reaches the capsule, takes it. His weak heart, lacking the medicine he needs, fails. And there you have poisoning without poison. Mmm, very ingenious. <laughs> I think so. The poisoner can't be traced through the poison he purchased because he didn't purchase any. The murdered man is assumed to have died a natural death. An autopsy will show no poison in his body since there wasn't any. <laughs> well, is it a perfect crime? I can't see any flaws in it. Good. Then if you can't, I don't imagine the critics will. Don't you mean the uh, police? The pol Why should the police be interested in a book I'm writing? Why should the critics be interested in the murder you're committing? You're not serious. You are. I... I rather think I must leave now. Be getting light soon. No, no, don't move. I still have the gun pointing at you. If I had to shoot you, it wouldn't be a perfect crime, but you'd be dead nonetheless. <laughs> but that wouldn't interest you, would it? Well, good night, Mr. Templer, and uh, pleasant dreams. Thanks. Love. Coffee, your toast, Mr. Templer, and the morning paper. Oh, thank you. Uh, you're up early this morning, aren't you? I, uh, I couldn't sleep. Hey, any resemblance between this toast and toast is purely coincidental. What does your chef do, tan the stuff? Oh, no, Mr. Templer. He probably uses old shoe leather. What's the matter? Don't you like the headlines? Can't say that I do. Frank A. Clark, noted financier, dies of heart attack as police arrest him for alleged embezzlement. Oh. Was he a friend of yours, Mr. Templer? No. But he was a financier, he was crooked, and he had a weak heart. <laughs> No wonder he died when he got arrested. Depends on whether he took medicine in uh, capsules. What depends on that, sir? 
Murder, my friend. Murder. Taxi. I. Oh, no, Louie. Oh, yeah, Louie. Out of all the taxi cabs in this city, why do I keep getting yours? Out of all the fares in this city, why do I keep getting you? You have a point there. I'll go right home and shop. You'll stay where you are. You want to go home with me? No. What's the matter with my home? Nothing. But... I live there, don't I? My wife lives there. My kids live there. You have no children. Don't get personal. I'm sorry. Man spends every spare minute he's got hoping. Louis. Did Julius Caesar have children? Did Alexander the Great have children? Did Napoleon have children? Yes. Me, they didn't send an announcement to. Louis, will you please drive me to 1893 Waterview Drive? I'm in a hurry. Okay, okay. <laughs> 1893 Waterview Drive. Who lives there? A gentleman named Frank A. Clark. Except that he doesn't live there, Louie. He's, uh, dead there. You're going to keep company with a corpse, Mr. Templer? I am going to visit his surviving relatives, if any. Why? Does it occur to you that it might be none of your business? Sure. It's none of your business? Well, now that we got that clear, why are you going to visit his room? Louis, stop the car, quick. Do I stop? What happened? We've reached 1893 Waterview Drive. Oh, I'm careless about little details like that. Here, Louis, and don't forget to mention it to your income tax collector. I'll write to him. Hey, don't you want me to wait? No, but you will, Louis. You will. This is the Clark home, isn't it? Sure, and I'm a Clark niece. And you're... Simon Templer, an old friend of your uncle's. You're not old. Well, I... And you're not a friend of my uncle's. Come in, anyway. Oh, thank you. Because maybe you can be a friend of mine. Huh? In here. Uh, tell me, uh, do you need a friend? No, but I like them. When they're as tall as you and... Oh, my name is Inez. Inez Francis. I'm very glad to know you, Miss Francis. It probably won't be when you really get to know me. <laughs> I realize perhaps I shouldn't have come today. You must be all broken up by your uncle's death. Who, me? Well, perhaps the family. Well, oh, that's me. I'm the family. Your uncle must have been a lonely man. Oh, he didn't mind. He had me in the market and all those people he was swindling. Oh, and of course he had Mr. Hartzell and Charlie Melvin. Who are Hartzell and Charlie Melvin? Charlie's sort of a weedy youth. Uncle's secretary, very anemic. I ignore him. And Hartzell? Uncle's lawyer. And I fondly suspect as big a crook as Uncle was. But very spatted, you know. Spatted? Uh-huh. On the shoes. Uh -huh. And gardenia in the buttonhole. And I've a sneaking suspicion, whiskeyed in the liver. How untidy. Uh, nobody else close to Uncle? Nope. Well, then it boils down to one of you three. What does? Who's happy now that Uncle's dead? I am, Hartzell is, Charlie is. That covers the field. Why? Uncle had a lot of money. I get it now. Hartzell stole some money from Uncle. He won't go to jail now. Charlie was implicated in Uncle's crooked deal. Charlie won't go to jail now. Mm. And uh, who has a, a deep, slightly hoarse voice? I don't. No. 
Which means that you're not the one who came to my room last night. No, but if you ask prettily, perhaps I'll come tonight. I know. But... Look at your etchings. I don't have any etchings. I'll bring some with me. Um, are the others around? Mm-hmm. Sitting around practicing grief-stricken looks for the funeral. That happy event is this afternoon. I'd better get dressed for it. But you are dressed. But not for a funeral. Would you excuse me for just a minute? Of course. Oh, oh here you are, Anir. Greetings, Mr. Templer. This is Charlie. Charlie, this is Mr. Templer. Glad to meet you. How do you do? He doesn't. Entertain Mr. Templer for me, Charlie. i got to find a dress that's sad-looking. I'd like to stay and entertain you, but uh, I've got to hurry. You see, I'm Mr. Clark's secretary. In his condition, I... he doesn't need a secretary. <laughs> well, I'm Mr. Clark's former secretary. No, no, I'm the former Mr. Clark's secretary. No, I get I... it now. Relax. Oh, I'm relaxed. Well, then why are you in such a hurry? Well, I have to go out and hire some mourners, haven't I? Why? Well, it wouldn't look nice if there were only three of us at the funeral. My nearest Mr. Hartsville and myself. No, especially since you'll all be grinning from ear to ear. May I ask you a question? Of course. Has your voice ever been deeper? Deep? <laughs> Heavens, no. <laughs> That's a... Goodbye. Charlie, my boy. Or is he, my boy? Oh, this... Oh, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Uh, my name is Templer, and I'm... Uh, Hartzell is my name. I, I'm sorry. I, I can't talk to you now. I'm in a hurry. Why? Uh, my tailor's expecting me. Your tailor? You'd hardly expect me to attend Mr. Clark's funeral in this, would you? Impossible. Uh, you see? Uh, so, if you don't mind, I'll just run along. Oh. Yes? What are you doing here? Looking for a man with a deep voice. Oh, sorry, mine isn't. But why are you looking for a man with a deep voice? He told me how Mr. Clark was murdered. Well, that explains it. What? Yes, he was murdered. But, but Mr. Clark died of heart failure. Indeed. You must be a... I demand an explanation immediately. You've forgotten one thing, Mr. Harper. Now, what's that? Your tailor is waiting. But I... And tailors are sometimes very temperamental. Besides, we can discuss this some other time. This evening? This evening. Uh, here's my card. I, I'd appreciate your coming. If Mr. Clark was murdered, something must be done about it. Something will be. Sufferance and breathe with difficulty, Templar. <laughs> Hello, Desmond. <laughs> what happy winds waft you hither, Simon the Subtle? Uh, Desmond, I'm not an audience. Oh, Templar, I'm an old ham. And contrary to what they say, hams do not improve by aging. Still the gay adventurer? Well, I'm not especially gay at the moment. Murder. Oh. The last murder that was of any interest to me was that Elsinore thing. You know, when Claudius and Gertrude put their heads together and slipped Gertrude's royal husband... A slug of poison in the ear. I remember it well. And the fat prince, uh, uh, Hamlet, I think his name was, mooned about like a ninny, sending Ophelia to a watery grave and the rest of the cast to a most bloody one. <laughs> you you would have made a good Hamlet. Bless you! Oh, I, I wanted to play Hamlet. Instead, they preferred me as a ventriloquist, confound him. That's why I'm here. You've been a ventriloquist. Uh, I'm involved in a case which hangs on the identity of a voice. Desmond, could anyone change his voice so that it would be completely different from his real voice? Oh, yes. But you'd always know that the second voice wasn't natural. That does it, then. Does what, Simon? Look, Desmond, three people wanted a man named Clark dead. 
Clark is dead. Well, presumably, therefore, one of the three killed Clark. Yes. Now, I was told of the method whereby Clark was going to be killed by a very distinctive voice in the dark. Therefore, the problem was simple. Find which of my three suspects had a voice like that and go on from there. Well? Not one of the three has that kind of voice, which leaves me with an interesting problem, but leaves the murderer free to go on murdering. How was the corpse, Mr. Tesla? Dead. Louis, I want the nearest bookstore. You can't have it. It belongs to a guy named Pestlethwaite. Would you please drive me there quickly? Okay. What's the matter? Suddenly decided you want to curl up in front of a fire with a good book? Uh, for that, I'd rather have Inez. Uh, no, Louis, I merely want to find out how a man can die of poisoning without being poisoned. bookstore very long. What's the matter? He didn't like Bessel Plate? Uh, he didn't have the book I wanted. I know a place. Uh, not that kind of book, Louis. What I wanted was a book on heart diseases. Oh, light reading, huh? Interesting. Heart diseases? These stores had one book on heart disease in stock until yesterday. So? Yesterday, the book was sold to a man, Pestlethwaite told me, who behaved in a strenuously agitated fashion. A man named Maybe the name was bothering you. Which reminds me, where am I taking you? Naturally, Louis, to a man named Hartzell. Hartzell in or uh, on his way to Mexico or... Uh... Mr. Templer. Yes, Mr. Hartzell. Come in, come in at once. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm jittery. That, that funeral this afternoon. I see. Well, have you tried reading? It's very soothing. I have no patience with books. Now, uh, please tell Not even books on heart disease? Hmm? Oh, why? Uh, uh, excuse me. Hello? Oh, yes, Inez. What? Oh, how dreadful. Oh, yes, at once. Goodbye. Well, you're pale. I'm shocked. Charlie Melvin. You know him? Mr. Clark's secretary. Yes, well, it seems that something's happened to him. What? He's dead. Tell him to hurry. Temper, hurry. Oh, we're almost there. Mr. Hartzell, did Arnaz say who discovered the body? Oh, yes, she did. She'd been visiting some friends, returned home, and... Couldn't have been an accidental death. Coincidence doesn't stretch that far. You know, if he was murdered... You still think the police believe Clark was murdered, too? Not the police, me. Oh, Mr. Hartwell. Oh, Siren. <laughs> Hello, Annette. Uh, come in. Getting to be embarrassing, all of a sudden death. It might be more than embarrassing. It might be fatal. It was. But, Charlie... How did it happen? He shot himself. The police have... I just phoned them. Oh, well, then we'd better hurry. Come on. Well, this is his room. In here. I heard the shot. When? About an hour ago. But you phoned Hartzell here only 15 minutes ago. I didn't know it was a shot at first. Charlie was supposed to come upstairs. When he didn't, I realized... Well, there he is. Yes. Yes, definitely dead. And 
note. Imagine that boy committing suicide. Let's see what the note says. I killed Clark because if he'd been arrested, I would have gone to jail too. But now the police suspect he was murdered and they suspect me. I might as well get it over with before they do. And it's signed, Charlie Melvin. Well, that sort of clears up that, doesn't it? Yes, except for one thing. What's that? Charlie's voice wasn't deep enough. Sleep and so should you be. Sampler? Yes. Hartzell? Listen, I'm at the Ensign Club on Trocadero. Yes? Uh, I couldn't go home. Charlie's death so soon after Clark's. Anyway, remember that voice you told me about? I remember it very well. I just heard it. What? Uh, the man with the voice like the one you described was here. I'll be right over. Uh, he's gone now, but I, I followed him outside and heard him give the cab driver his address. Good boy. I have my car. I'll pick you up immediately. Fine, fine. We can go right after him. It's some distance outside the city. The guy traveled to the North Pole for him. You don't measure miles when chasing phantoms. I, I can't be absolutely sure it's the man you want. Me, I'm grabbing at straws. But his voice did sound like your description. It was at a club to which Clark belonged. I'll make it worth a try. All I need is to hear him say something, anything, a word, a phrase, and I'll know. Oh, that shouldn't be difficult once we get to him. Once we get to him. Only thing worries me is... Uh, yes? That his voice can still be heard by the time we get to him. <laughs> Way to the North Pole. So you didn't take me literally, did you? You shouldn't be much farther. Uh, Templar. Yes? I don't understand about Charlie. I can't see him murdering Clark somehow. You don't believe he did it? Do you? Not especially. Oh, why not? I don't know. Intuition, maybe. Ooh, a little stranger likes seclusion, doesn't he? Evidently. You know, uh, the police accepted that suicide note without question. Did they? Uh, there's the house. Oh, there aren't any lights showing. Well, he must have got here sometime before us. I went to bed, I guess. Yeah, probably. I wonder. Do you think he'll recognize you? Oh, probably. I couldn't see him, but he saw me. Well, that might be bad. Uh, are you armed in case he tries anything? No, but we'll manage. Well, suppose he refuses to to say anything at all. Well, that in itself would answer our question, wouldn't it? We uh, ring? Certainly. Nothing if not courteous. <laughs> it's so... So dark out here. So far from anything. Yeah, dark and lonely. You put it beautifully. He... He doesn't answer. Try the door. Very well. It's open. Good. Then we can walk right in. I can't see a thing. Yeah, wait a minute. I'll light a match. There, the light switch to your left, Hartzell. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. Oh, that's much better. Now then, hmm, it's a very charming house you have here, Mr. Hart. What did you say? I said you have a very charming house here. My house? 
But you didn't really think I was fooled, did you? That voice you heard in your club was a fiction. It had to be. Our trip here was planned by you so that we'd be alone. Why, why would I want that? The better to kill me, my friend. Kill you, you say? That's what I say. Why, why would I want to kill you? And because, like yourself, I think that suicide note of Charlie's was a fake. Oh, I never said... I did. It is a fake. How did you know? The note ran to the effect that Charlie was committing suicide because the police suspected him of murdering Clark. But the police didn't suspect Clark of being murdered. Well, perhaps not, but you did. Yes, but Charlie didn't know that, Mr. Hartzell. I didn't tell him. I... Oh, very well. Just stay right where you are. Mm, what a handsome revolver. I did kill Charlie. So that there wouldn't be any investigation into Clark's death. I, I, I couldn't afford that. If you kill me, there will be an investigation. No. Because no one knows you came here with me. Well, you're not going to die. You're going to disappear. Oh? In my furniture. I wouldn't like that too, Wall. I'm afraid your likes can no longer be considered. Well, in that case, I'll have a cigarette. Let me see now which pocket. Hey, hold on. Oh, I... Mr. Hart, who do you want? Oh, my. You dropped your revolver. <laughs> now I have two. You... You said you weren't armed. I'm such a liar. But then, you see, I knew when you asked me why you asked me. So perhaps I'll be forgiven. Uh, Templar, I killed Charlie, but... I didn't kill Clark. I swear I didn't. Good heavens, Mr. Hartzell. I never for a moment thought you did. It's a beautiful night, time. Mm. Poor Mr. Hartzell, all shut up in a dungeon cell. Yes, I'm afraid the beauties of the night are lost to him. Those beauties are also lost to... Charlie and Mr. Clark. Oh, don't be morbid. They're better off dead. Well, it would have been nicer to leave that decision to them. Mr. Hartzell, bless his fussy old soul, was really an impulsive man. And a foolish one. Oh. Let's not talk about him anymore. Let's talk... Of your uh, uncle. Why? Because Hartzell didn't kill him. Oh? A man came to me in the middle of the night, in the darkness, so that I never saw him, and told me of a plan to murder Mr. Clark. It was a good plan, absolutely undetectable. Man left. All through this case, I've been looking for a man with a voice like the one that told me of murder. And? There were three people involved. Yourself, who'd get the money if Clark died. Charlie, who'd be saved from jail. Hartzell, who'd be free of embezzlement. Uncle certainly spread a lot of joy when he died. Charlie was murdered by Hartzell, but Charlie's was not the voice that spoke to me. Nor was Hartzell's. Then... Whose voice could it possibly have been? Mm, that's the central problem. All right, why did the man come to me in the first place? Oh, according to you, to make sure his method of murder would never be detected. But in coming to me, my dear, didn't he make sure of the very opposite? Oh. Well, then, he must have wanted you to... That's to... right. That's right. He wanted me to detect murder, but why? Obviously not because he was going to murder anyone. I don't understand. The only voice in this case that I haven't heard is the voice of your uncle. My uncle. He was my visitor. But why? Why did he do it? Because nobody was going to murder him. What could he hope to accomplish? What he did accomplish. Inez, your uncle was an old man with heart disease on the verge of being arrested for theft, swindling. He knew he wouldn't survive even the shortest prison term. He probably suspected that the strain of the arrest itself might be fatal. And it was. But before he died, he wanted revenge on the lawyer who cheated him and on the secretary who deserted him. So he came to me with his story, figuring that when he died perfectly naturally, 
Murder would be suspected where no murder had taken place. Well, I worked, didn't it? Because Hartzell killed Charlie. Hartzell himself is going to die for it. Yes. Your uncle must have been quiet. Simon. Yes? There's a moon. We've talked of unhappy things long enough. Mm-hmm. Got any etching? Mm-hmm. Hey, wait a minute. I thought you didn't have any the last time I asked you. The last time you asked me, my dear, you were a suspect for murder. Now? Now? Now you're beautiful, you're blonde, and... Yeah. It's just plain murder. You've been listening to another transcribed adventure of The Saints, the Robin Hood of modern crime. And now here is our star, Vincent Price. Ladies and gentlemen, poison doesn't always come in bottles. And it isn't always marked with the skull and crossbones of danger. Poison can take the form of words and phrases and acts. The venom of racial and religious hatred. Here in the United States, perhaps more than ever before, we must learn to recognize the poison of prejudice and to discover the antidote to its dangerous effects. Evidences of racial and religious hatred in our country place a potent weapon in the hands of our enemies, providing them with the ammunition of criticism. Moreover, group hatred menaces the entire fabric of democratic life. As for the antidote, you can fight prejudice, first by recognizing it for what it is, and second by actively accepting or rejecting people on their individual worth, and by speaking up against prejudice and for understanding. Remember, freedom and prejudice can't exist side by side. If you choose freedom, fight prejudice. This is Vincent Price inviting you to join us again next week at the same time for another exciting adventure of the saints. Good night. Our cast included Gene Bates, Lou Merrill, Fred Howard, Jack Edwards Jr., and Larry Dobkin. The music was composed and conducted by Vaughn Dexter. The Saints, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris, is a James L. Safier production and is directed by Helen Mack. Vincent Price is soon to be seen co-starring in RKO's production of His Kind of Woman. All you Saint fans will be glad to know that the Saint comic books are now on sale at all newsstands. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Programs, get your programs here. Tomorrow night, here Nightbeat. The adventures of newspaper reporter Randy Stone is portrayed by Frank Lovejoy. Listen as Randy works the nightbeat of a newspaper in search of unusual, interesting stories. At Nightbeat tomorrow night. Next, Sam Spade cuts a caper. Then Zeno Franciscati plays on NBC. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Green Hornet, followed by Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.